0: I didn't put any cheat cheat notes on there, so if y'all want it, all right. Is it rolling? Uh, keep
1: saying battery low. Press
0: play. Uh, yours is working though. Yeah. Okay. I don't get a new battery for that thing. I'll take it with me. All right, so we're in, uh, basically we're starting at page 25, if you've got one of these. We're in section 8 still, Christ the Mediator, and we've talked a lot about what it means for him to be the mediator between God and man, and we've looked at several different aspects. Um, we, we really took time to look and see what Christ did by becoming man, living a perfect, sinless life. Uh, We call that active obedience and then his passive obedience by willingly going to the cross, dying on the cross for our sins, taking our place that our sin might be taken and that we might be counted righteous. And that's different than being made righteous. We haven't been made righteous. We have a righteousness counted toward us, his righteousness. And um, which really keeps us humble because we can't look at other people and say, well, look what I've got. I mean, we don't have anything. Christ has us, and he chose us, and uh, that's a remarkable thing. There's no grounds for on which we can boast. But we looked at all that, and and specifically how all that had an impact on God, that what Jesus did impacted God. It satisfied his wrath and his anger and his justice, and um, it, it, I don't want to say allowed God, but it made possible God's pouring out grace and mercy on us because he did satisfies justice by punishing christ right because his justice had to be satisfied and his wrath had to land on something and it landed on christ instead of us so we talked about that godward um, impact of christ's work mediation atonement all these words we use to talk about what jesus did now we're at the section to see the manward or success of the work of christ in other words how did it apply to us the application of redemption and and, and you know in reality that's kind of what we all want to know anyway right especially uh, if we don't if we don't have faith in christ this is kind of the action this is kind of the question people are asking Well, what does this have to do with me well here's what it has to do with us and so um i just want to read this section to you if you're sitting there looking at it And then we're going to kind of walk through it um, together. So it says in section eight, to all of those for whom Christ has obtained eternal redemption, he certainly and effectually applies and imparts it. So to all those for whom Christ died, he makes it effectual, which means eventually what it says. He applies and imparts that redemption to the people for who it's meant for And he does this by interceding for them, goes between us and God, and between God's wrath, all that stuff we just talked about. He intercedes for us. He unites them to himself by his spirit. We talked about this a little bit Sunday about baptism. It's this picture of the uniting of us with Christ. We become uh, one with him in the sense that he brought us into himself and adopted us into God's family and reveals to them in and by his word the mystery of salvation now it's interesting if you read through the scriptures you'll see in the new testament how the bible often talks about this mystery that has been revealed that was like a secret hidden throughout the ages but it really wasn't it was preached in the gospel in the old testament all through history but what it's saying to us it was finally unveiled in Christ. So there is no longer anything hidden. Christ is here, and he has done his work. But then we read in the Bible that it is hidden to those who can't see it. To those who the God of this world has blinded, they cannot see. I think it said Corinthians 4 that points that out so well. The God of this world has blinded their eyes lest they see the the, the glory of uh, Christ. That's why it says, but those are his, who are his, he reveals to them in and by his word the mystery of salvation. So this is why we preach every time we meet. This is why when we come together to worship, we open a Bible and we say, this is what God says, because it's through his word, not through my words, not through my ability, my, my enunciation or ability to uh, illustrate things, but through his word and by his spirit in a way that nobody can see, God reveals himself and reveals who Christ is. and and causes this light to go off, if you will, inside of us. Uh, This mystery becomes a reality. Suddenly, we understand things we didn't understand before, and all at once, or even gradually, we believe that, though I don't know every fine point of this story, I believe this story is about me. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe this is real. His death, his burial, his resurrection, all that has an impact on me. That's because God has supernaturally revealed this through his word. And notice what else it says he does. And now this is where, this is the point at which, at one of the points at which the kind of Baptist church that we're in is different than a lot of other Baptist churches, okay? But this is the way Baptists have believed for centuries. He persuades them to believe and obey. This is the work of God through the preaching of the gospel In other words, and we'll get to these sections later on in this confession about free will. Is there really a free will when it comes to being born again or not? And this says, notice, the only way people are going to get saved is that God in Christ persuades them to believe and obey. And then as king, he governs their hearts by his word and spirit. All these things are supernatural. These are not things that you can just decide. That this is not. This is not turning over a new leaf. This is God doing something that you might not even be able to explain at all you, until years down the road, and you look back and say, "God, I see what God was doing. I see how He was doing this, revealing this to me, giving me understanding." Now, to some of us, it happens like this: you know, understanding just, oh, "I get that God was in Christ, bringing me to Himself." But this is an amazing thought. How do people come to believe in Christ? God supernaturally persuades them to believe and obey and he governs their heart by his word and his spirit. And then here's some more good news. He overcomes all their enemies by his power, almighty power and wisdom, using methods and ways that are perfectly consistent with his wonderful and unsearchable governance. So the ways of God are past finding out. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here the best way I can come up with words to try to describe what it's like for God to supernaturally awaken us to believe that I can't really do it. I don't know how it happens. It's it's unsearchable. I mean, he does this wonderful thing. And all things are by free and absolute grace. Now, this, this one phrase right here is very unique to our 1689 Confession. This phrase is not in the Westminster Confession or even um, uh, any of the other confessions that were written at this time. This idea that thing, all these things of salvation are by free and absolute grace apart from any condition for obtaining it that is seen or foreseen in them. Now that's very important because we're going to try to talk about the idea of election, which is, means God choosing before even the world began and a lot of people will say well yeah God elects people based on what he sees they're going to do so God chose you based on the fact that he looked hundreds of years down the road and saw that well Michael's going to choose me so therefore I choose him and so the 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 uh, confession is trying to great take take great pains here to say no God does what he does by absolute free grace apart from any condition for obtaining it foreseen in us. This is God's sovereign free choice and it has nothing to do with us. So again, I think what the Bible does over and over is takes away any ground for boasting that we might have. By grace we've been saved through faith, that and all of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. We can't boast if this was chosen and sat done even before the world was made. Now, those things are hard to grasp, and we can talk about that more. But specifically, what I want to talk about in this, and we'll look at some of these Bible verses. um, Why don't we do that right quick? Why don't uh, somebody look up John 6.37 and John 10.15. Alright, uh John seventeen six. I got it. All right. Romans five 10. I'll
1: take
0: it. You got it? And how about at least this one more Ephesians one nine? Okay. All right, who's got the first one there? John 6, 37. All right.
1: All that the Father gives me shall so come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will
0: certainly not cast out. Okay, John 6 is just a great chapter to read about this very thing. Because Jesus is making clear there, who who believes in Jesus? All the Father sends to me. That's kind of this idea in, in our confession here. Persuading. All the Father persuades to Jesus come to him. And all that come to him, he does not cast out in any way. In fact, he goes on right there to say, "I've never lost one." Uh, what about what? What else did I say? Ten, fifteen. Uh, Ten,
1: fifteen. Okay. All
0: right. Even,
1: uh, even as the Father uh, knows me, and I know the Father, uh, and I have, I lay down my life uh, for the
0: sorry, for the sheep.
1: For the sheep. Yeah.
0: So sheep? Je- huh? No, go ahead. Yes, sir. So uh there Jesus is saying, Who did he die for? Sheep. He didn't die for our goats, he died for sheep. And that goes back to this idea of in a confession, to all those who Christ has obtained a re- redemption for, all the people that he was meant to die for. He applies it and imparts it to them. Uh what's next? Seventeen six. Seventeen nine. Seventeen nine. Read six and nine. Yeah, you can read 9 too, but read 6.
1: <clears throat> okay. I have revealed your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. They have followed your word. Now they have come to know that everything which you have given me is from you. I'll just read through Yeah. <clears throat> For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understand that I came forth from you. They believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given me because they are yours.
0: Okay. So that's Jesus praying to God, the Father, in the garden right before the crucifixion. And that's what he's praying for, all the ones that the Father's given to him. Uh, Romans 5.10. For if
1: while we were enemies we were reconciled to God... Through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his
0: life, okay, that's just a beautiful passage that teaches so clearly you didn't do anything if you believe in Christ, you didn't do anything for God to save now there's there's somebody I should save. it says while you were enemies with God, Christ died for you, so God didn't wait until we were good, did good things he 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 sent the remedy we needed. And the justification and the salvation and the the uh, reconciliation, the redemption, all those things we needed, he sent to us and imparted it to us while we were sinners. Not uh, not when we deserved it, which we never would have. So uh Ephesians one nine.
1: He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ.
0: Okay. This is not going to say, say before. Read that again. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his
1: good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment.
0: Okay. <clears throat> I thought it was... Uh... Yeah. Yep, it. Well, it does, it, it does go along with the one section talking about making known to us the mystery of his will because he revealed it to us. I was thinking about the the part before that about, um, um, well, predestination, but just talking about before the world, um, yeah, yes, verse four, even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Yeah, yeah, uh, he read, uh, Karen read one nine, which talks about God making known to us the mystery of his will, but I don't know why I had it mixed up with four, but I wanted to read four too. Who knows? My notes. So basically, I think one of the, the, the main teachings of this section is to try to show to us sort of an order of salvation, the way these things come to be how it comes to be applied to us. And there's something in church history called the order of salvation. There's a fancy Latin, Latin term, the ordo salutis, which means simply the order of salvation. And a lot of people put these in different orders. So I'm going to give you the pretty much traditional standard version of the order of salvation from a reformed perspective. So you can jot it down if you want to to think about it. How did this come to be? How did I become a child of God? How do I follow Christ? Well, it began in election, predestination. All right? This is what Ephesians 1, 4 just said, before the world began, right? This started in the the mind and heart of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Before there was even a world, he elected and predestined people that would be his own. And so... uh, Once that was in place, and there was a creation, and there is a fall, then he has to make arrangements to make his people compatible to be with him, right? So that's where the atonement comes in. That's the second thing. You have election predestination, then you have atonement, the work of Christ, which is foreshadowed for us all through the Old Testament, um, but yet the gospel of Christ is preached in the Old Testament about the coming Savior. And then he came, and he did what was promised. So we got the atonement. So those are things you couldn't see, didn't know about, until you read it in the Bible, you find out, oh, this has already happened, been happening, been in God's mind and heart for all these millennia. And then it came to pass in Christ. And then at some point, God issues a gospel call. A preacher, somebody like me, somebody uh, opened a Bible to you, you being somewhere and hearing the Bible, you hear the gospel, you hear it presented in some way, or you maybe just open a Bible yourself and read that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You read that Jesus uh, came that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And you see this, that he died um, on the cross and took the place of sinners so that any sinner who believes in him, like John 1, 1, all who believe in him, as many as called on him, received him. He gave them power to become his sons. So you get this gospel call. And I think the gospel call can go out to the whole world, to every single person that's ever lived and ever will live. Every creature can hear the gospel call or can have it fall on their ears. But then there's this inward call, this persuasion again. This is called regeneration. So after the gospel call, you get regenerated. Because remember, how what does the Bible say we, in our sin, are like? In our sin, what are we spiritually?
1: Dead.
0: We're dead. So the Bible is very clear that, and this is why this is how we can talk about the idea of free will or not free will when it comes to this. When it comes to uh, salvation, especially, the Bible says we're dead. It even pictures us as a valley of dry bones. But we're that dead. Like, we're not just dead, but even our bones are separated. Like, no hope of being put back together. We're dead. So God, through the gospel call, miraculously regenerates us through this inward call. Through this, okay, I've heard the preacher talking, but there's something inside of me that's saying I should believe this. I don't even understand. This seems like a silly silly story that this God became a man and then... Lived a perfect, sinless life, and then died on the cross, and was buried, and rose again on the third day. All these stories, and but for some reason, I believe them. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the inward regeneration. God has brought you to life in a way, spiritually, inwardly, that you begin to understand this. And as a result, He gives you faith and repentance. So that's the next order. You have election, atonement the gospel call, then this inward regeneration, and as a result, faith and repentance appear. Suddenly, you have this belief in all these things. And this doesn't sound so far-fetched. And of course, if you were raised around it, it may not ever really sound far-fetched, but you just never grasp a hold to it for yourself and say, okay, well, Christ died for me. I, I get that. It's my, this is my savior, Jesus I'm the one that he is calling to be saved because he's given me not only faith, but he's also given me repentance, which means a a turning away from my sin, right? Suddenly, my sin doesn't seem so enticing. Now, I still run to it often, but I don't want that anymore. I would rather have Christ. But some days, you wouldn't know that by the way I live and the way I act and the way I think. So, um... But I do have repentance and I find myself more now when I do something I know is sinful I have this this thing again inside of me that won't let me rest. And that's repentance. That comes from God. And he also gives us, this is the, the next step, justification and sanctification sort of goes together. Because these are things that are finished and complete. You are You now, because of The gospel call that you heard and God's regenerating you and awakening you to faith, you stand justified now. Before God, you are no longer guilty because he looks at you and only sees Christ's work on your behalf. So if you ever wonder, well, how can God let sinful people into heaven because he accepts us on behalf of his son in his righteousness, his perfection, right? And that's justification and sanctification, which means we've been set apart for the purposes of God, and we will one day be glorified. Glorification is the last step in this order of salvation. But right now, he is sanctifying us, setting us apart. But really, it's a complete done thing. I mean, it's as good as done. Nothing will stop us from being sanctified, not even our own sinful flesh, because it is complete in Christ. And one day, it will result in glorification. Not our works of sanctification, but Christ's work of justification and sanctification. Now, here's the deal. For the most part, what we believe is that when this gospel call happens, the inward regeneration, faith, repentance, and justification, all that happens. I mean, it's done. It's not like this. It's not linear. I, mean, I just read it to you linear so we could write it down and think through it. But election happened before the foundation of the world. There was a point in time where Christ atoned for the sins of his people. And there is a point in your life, or there will be a point in your life where you hear the gospel and it makes sense to you, and God does this remarkable thing in you, that's all done. I mean, faith, repentance, justification, sanctification, and all that will guarantee one day you'll be glorified, you'll you'll receive glorification, which means you'll have this new body, and you'll be in this new state where there'll be no more sin, no more um, sadness, no more sickness. It's just a great thing. I don't know if you ever, is this the first time anybody's ever, any of you ever heard of this order of salvation, or ever thought about it? It's
1: the first time I've heard it defined this uh, elaborately. All right. Specifically, i say. Well, see. Romans 830 has a
0: convinced. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we're gonna look at that Romans eight, called the golden chain of redemption. Um Romans eight uh twenty eight through thirty. Says it this way. Well, first I love this because twenty eight is so important. I think I quoted this in praying. We know that all things that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Okay, for all those who are called according to his purpose. There's an the idea. All things working together for good are only for God's people. Which is good news, by the way. All according to his purpose. purpose. For those whom he foreknew, which is predestined election, right? Predestination and election. For those whom he foreknew, that means to know beforehand. He knew us before he even made us. Those he also predestined. And he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he called. So here's that here's that order I just gave you. Those who he predestined, he called. Those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he also glorified. So so you're right. Romans 8 twenty eight gives us that same order, just in a little more condensed version. And it, it takes out some of the steps because in justified is wrapped up regeneration, repentance, faith, and justification. So the Bible just puts them all in there. We try to, I say we, church history has tried to point this out. So in our little finite minds, we can try to wrap our brains around all these things that happen because we talk about all these things. We talk about faith and belief and justification. And so I think it helps to see that how there was an order of this happening, but it didn't necessarily happen this way. There was some parts in there just went, God did everything. But what I love about the thought of predestination election is that because God predestined and elected His people, there was nothing that was ever going to stop that from happening. That's why Romans eight, if you keep reading it uh, a little further, it'll say there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. I mean, all of the years of existence and history can't separate us and keep God from getting His people, and He will get His people. And this is so important because, and I think this order is important, if you get these things out of order, then you get a mixed up theology. Because just think about this. This is our order. Election, atonement, gospel call, inward call, regeneration, faith, repentance, justification, glorification. There's the other side of theology. This is their order of salvation. See if you hear a difference. Their order of salvation, one the outward call to faith or election. So God elects based on your faith, right? Kind of back to that thing of God looking down the corridors of time and seeing who's going to choose him. So he chooses them back. Then the third thing is, is repentance. So for this other camp, so to speak, their order of salvation is first the call, the preacher, then faith, then repentance, then regeneration. So you got to do all these things and then God will regenerate you and then justify you. And so what we believe is that the Bible teaches, because uh, we were dead in our sin and trespasses, we had to be regenerated and brought to life. And then we didn't, we certainly couldn't have done that. And then God does all the other work too: gives us faith, gives us justification, gives us repentance, gives us sanctification, And one day we'll give us glorification. And if you can see, I mean, I keep pointing this out, but that's why we have no grounds on which to boast, right? I can't say, well, I'm better at believing this stuff than you are. You know, I can't look at somebody that don't believe this and say, I don't understand why you just don't believe this. I mean, I believed it. I obviously make better choices than you. I mean, I I can't imagine that hell is going to be filled with people that just couldn't make good choices.
1: Can I say something about the other side of that? Yeah. So, if you know, that version of it is true, and God looks down and chooses us because we chose Him, if you think about this for a minute, that's going to put God subject to our exactly. our command, our decision. Exactly. And that's not the God of Scripture in any form or fashion. Yeah. No. That can't make sense. He says, "Repent and believe." Don't believe. believe in Repent. Yeah
0: right and and continue what I, that thought process I was headed down and that's exactly right because and neither can anybody nobody would ever get to heaven and say oh good I'm glad you made the choice too glad we made the choice you know it's more of us around the throne of God with no understanding why he chose us but we rejoice and worship him because he's worthy based on nothing good in us But on his free grace, he chose us. And see, and also to me, that gives me, I know I've said this before, it gives me so much greater hope in preaching the gospel, knowing people will hear it and be saved because of, of this stuff that we just talked about. If Christ died for them, he will find them. The Father will find them, bring them to Christ, and they will believe because he will give them all this stuff. So I'm not counting on you just to be a better decision maker. I'm counting on God to be sovereign over everything including your salvation and saving his people. And that just gives me great hope to stand up and week after week, kind of this thing we've been talking about with ordinary means and ordinary church, just preach the same stuff about the same Savior over and over, knowing that God will do what he does through this gospel. I don't have to make up, you know, be a very uh, animated preacher and get you all excited about whatever i mean there's nothing wrong with that if that's what the way people's um personality is i don't guess but the point being the message is the same and god uses the same old message to save his people and he does it because this is this is uh his plan that he's put in place and it will never it will never waver nothing can undo his plan um this this beautiful passage, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, says, Christ entered once into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So what Christ did on the cross, he when he said it is finished, he secured salvation of all his people. He didn't secure a... Um, a a prospect or a possibility, right? So Jesus didn't die to give everybody a possibility of being saved. The Bible is very clear. This is why we teach this about redemption and the, the extent of the redemption. For whom did Christ die? He died for those who would be saved. Because if not, then you get into all other kind of problems. So you mean Jesus could die for a person that could spend eternity in hell apart from him? What did he not do that was enough, Right? So he died almost enough, but not enough to get over your unbelief. And so what I tell people is he died for unbelief too. And he died for your bad decision-making and my decision-making that's not good. Thank the Lord that he overcome my ability to not want him and made me believe in him. Because I often make bad choices and I often make bad decisions. I mean, I guarantee you, if, it, if there's... uh a bunch of money to be made, I'm going to make the decision that will cause me to miss that and I'll get less money, you know? So I'm always in the camp of making just the wrong decision barely at the wrong time, right? And so I'm thankful that when it comes to spiritual matters and matters of the heart and the soul, that God has done everything, put everything into place. It doesn't make me a robot. Are you a robot? It makes us um, the recipients of God's grace. And at some point in your life, you if you haven't, I pray that you will hear this and know that it's for you and that God will save you through it. And then he will, uh, as it points out, by his almighty power and wisdom, he'll, he'll use methods to continue to govern your heart by his word and his spirit. Because we need that. Our flesh would rather do everything opposite of what's right and good, usually. More, most often so we need his grace to fill those spots um, what about any questions or any comments about that before we just keep rambling right.
1: well, I guess the thing that I would say is the trouble I have with that when I'm trying to of course it's not I can't explain it because I'm not supposed to explain it, but people that would say, Well, what about the ones who weren't pretexting? Right. You know, what's,
0: what's their life worth and why are they different than you know, somebody who is like Right. I'm not, I'm not answering that. But, right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, you know, I pointed this out. I think we started talking about this a little bit last week. I mean, there are some things that are difficult for us because, as it points out, not only in our, uh, in our confession, but in the Bible that God's ways are unsearchable and past finding out. The only thing we can explain are things that have been revealed to us. And, um, uh, there's a lot of conjecture, and a lot of opinion about answering that question. Um, and I could probably, uh, see the argument for some of it. I don't know God's purpose in everything, but I do know that some way it will glorify him. Absolutely. And, um, I think sometimes we've, I'll get back to you in just a minute. Sometimes we get so focused on that. Well, I don't like that. That's not fair because we've, in some ways, we've created God in our own image that, well, that's not the kind of, that's not the way I would do it. Okay, but this is the way God said he's done it. And I don't, don't, you know, I don't look at people and think, well, you know, that's not one chosen by God. It's none of my business. I'm trusting that everybody that's put in front of me, if is, I mean, to, as far as I'm concerned, everybody put in front of me can, is chosen. I mean, I don't have to worry about that. Now I know that's not true, and the truth is, even if you don't believe this, nobody believes. Well, I won't say nobody. Most nobody, most of us don't believe that every single person will be saved by God, no matter what, because that would be a weird, that'd be a weird heaven. If everybody's ever lives, we're all going to heaven. For that, I mean, because you just you can just think in your mind real quick some some people that have done some heinous things that you're thinking. I hope they're not. I mean, come on. If they can, if they can be in heaven, but of course there, there's no sin that's outside of God's ability to save and forgive. But you know, I, you have to believe that uh, God's purposes are good, and somehow they're right. And I think
1: most of the people that challenge what we're talking about, <coughs> they're too hung up on, on themselves and don't want to believe the fact that you know,
0: God's in control. Right. Like
1: you said, they have their own
0: world. Because it's his heaven and he can choose what he wants to do. I think somebody said today, I mean, just like we choose our own brides and this is the bride of Christ, I mean, he gets to choose his bride. So, you know, and um, and again, it's not for us to look out. We, we can't look down our nose at anybody because we don't even know. We don't even know why we were chosen. Why? That don't make any sense. What would God look at me and choose me for? I
1: think when you see the truth, though, you can stand
0: back and say that anyone was chosen as a mercy Right. right. Anyone, yes. Much
1: less, you know,
0: because He didn't have to save anybody. None, yeah. And and I think we get worried because we see our family members that don't believe it and people we love, and that bothers us. But I don't want to think that that person's not chosen, and I don't think we should. I don't think we should surrender to that. I think we should. Sur- we should never surrender and stop preaching the gospel until they're dead and gone and can't hear it anymore. And even then, they're in the hands of a merciful God that does right. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to know all of God's mind to know this is what he's, this is what he said, and this is what we preach and proclaim. But now, I'm teaching y'all this doctrine, and come Sunday morning, I, I won't necessarily preach the same way. You know, in worship, I won't spell these things out i'm not afraid to spell them out but we just lift up christ and expect him to draw people to himself right. and then these kind of doctrines come along we want to teach them but um these things will sometimes take some time for god's spirit to work them out in your life what was you going to say can i didn't mean to stop you earlier yeah the
1: uh, the situation is that uh, back to- When you get called, and basically the situation is that uh, you don't. uh, I mean, the first time that they hear the gospel, uh, time after time after time after time, uh, basically what happens is that, uh, uh, just like with me, uh, the uh, situation is that uh, there was a time. Right.
0: It was a time where we get, we get called, and all of a sudden we hear. Right. And that's why we believe in something called irresistible grace. That is the doctrine of irresistible grace. It doesn't mean you can't resist it, but it means eventually it will conquer you. I mean, you may say, no, 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 no. Um, however many times God's allowed you to say that, but eventually grace will overcome you and conquer you, and you will surrender to the Lord because he will persuade you to. And um, so I think you're exactly right. Yeah. There again, he will come get his people. And look, uh, back to what John was saying, it is a difficult thing, and I never want to. There's a time in my life I didn't believe this at all. So uh, I understand if you're having a hard time and don't believe it. And any time, if anybody ever wants to say, hey, I'd like to talk about this some more, I'm glad to do that. I'm glad to sit down anytime and try to talk through it. And the truth is, it may take you some time to ever come to it, all right? It took me a long time, a lot of years. And, and, uh, I mean, there was a time that I would have sat where you are listening to me, and I would have totally disagreed with everything I just said. I would have said, that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. But what I've come to find out is the more consistent I want to teach the Bible, this is the most consistent thing about how God reveals himself. And it makes so much sense because if it's completely dependent on, we just got to hope that rebel men and women decide one day that this is a better option than everything else. I mean, let's be honest. For the most of us, I mean, we wouldn't ever choose that. We wouldn't see it as a better option because um, the world offers us a lot now. Christ offers us abundant life. But he really offers us a lot later. I mean, a Christian life is really about a life to come. That's why Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, we'd fight. Put down your swords. We're not fighting. This kingdom is up. this kingdom you can't see. It's another place. And so I think if it were just up to us and you're saying, hey, choose everything that this world's offering you now or choose something that's uh, going to be after you die, So so I I like better the proposition of the gospel that um, God is going to persuade his people to believe. And we just keep teaching this over and over and preaching it and trusting that he's going to do his work. And um, because I see that all the time. I see God bringing people together that I could have never brought together on my own, right? I see people uh, sitting in our worship services that I could have never imagined would come and sit in our worship service or that I'm friends with, I get to have these conversations with that I would have never imagined I could have done had God not worked those things out, right? And given us favor to be able to talk and, and uh, work through them. So, what else? Well, not the easy. That was the hard part. No, it's really not. I guess we'll get we'll get to talk about this morning. Uh, in several weeks from now when we get to a whole there's a whole chapter in here on free will and effectual calling because that idea that that inward call of regeneration that's known as effectual calling because you could hear the gospel like ken was saying you could hear it hear it hear it but at some point it becomes effectual you hear it and say oh that's for me god's calling me and this idea of free will um we'll talk about but you know, basically we believe that man lost his ability to choose spiritually in the garden. I mean, his will was injured greatly. In, um, and in enslaved, in, in bondage. And so now God has to do something about that. That's why the Bible says, I mean, the Bible says it in our confession, said he persuades us because we're unwilling. Our will is in bondage to sin, Adam's sin. All right, well, I'm going to dismiss us, and then we can stay around and talk. Anybody has any questions, I know this is kind of heavy stuff for uh, Wednesday night. So, Father, we love you, and thank you for your word. God, I know these things are hard. It can even be stumbling blocks, um, but we're not for Christ and for his spirit awakening in us the truth of your word and causing us to see not christ as a stumbling block but christ as a savior and as the one who has taken our place and the one who we can put our faith and hope in because he is a god man and so we thank you for him and i pray you give us understanding help us to uh, chew on these things spiritually and not dismiss them but try to understand them uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we prayed earlier and uh bless this week and just help us to get our work done and Spend time with our families, all the things that are before us, and still uh, keep our eyes focused on you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.